welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. To help our sanctuary look beautiful, we ate pizza, we rearranged things, we hung things, and did all sorts of stuff, and I'm really thankful for that. And it just sort of, on Friday, sort of reminded me of the busyness that is December, right? My wife and I normally on on Sunday after church, after we kind of get done with lunch, we sit down and and we plan out our week together. And oftentimes that's because she's going grocery shopping that afternoon and she's kind of saying, how many many meals are we going to eat together? What do we need to plan for? Uh, And last week we literally ate one meal at home together because it has already started, right? The, the parties, the, the get-togethers, the Christmas stuff, and it feels like it has just sort of expanded, and we are all uh, so busy around this time of year. There's so much stuff going on. And what's interesting is we, on the one hand, love all those parties, right? I mean, who doesn't love it when your company buys you food and drinks for free and you don't have to pay and you can go kind of hang out with your co-workers on your boss's nickel. Like, we like that thing, right? We like hanging out with our friends and doing Christmas parties and having fun. But on the other hand, there's this longing that we have, right? We feel like Christmas should be something more than like a series of parties in December where we loosely nod at Jesus every now and then. And yet, we still fill our calendars with all these things. One of the things I want to do this year, and one of the things for us as a new church, and for folks who are new to uh, sort of an older church uh, tradition like City Church is a part of, is celebrating Advent. Not just Christmas, but Advent. Because Advent takes the sort of one day of Christmas, maybe throwing Christmas Eve in the mix, and it expands it and says, no, 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 we're going to dwell in this idea of Jesus becoming man for an entire month. And one of the things that spending a month thinking about Advent, spending a month thinking about what's going on uh, during this time of year that we celebrate does, is it allows us to see that Christmas time, that Advent time, is not a sort of one note of emotion. Right? Oftentimes we want to sort of just make Christmas into, hey, give presents and be merry, do nice things. That's Christmas, right? Jesus, little baby Jesus, in a small, six pounds, eight ounces. Like that's, we sort of reduce it to that. With Advent we get to see more. We do get to see the joy that Christmas brings us. That, that God so loved the world that he entered into this. But not only that, Advent is also a time for us to remember sadness and loss. You know, it's interesting uh, that the longest night of the year is three days before Christmas. Did you know that? Did you know that the longest night for the northern hemisphere um, of the year is three days before Christmas? And I think there's something poetic about that. There's something poetic about the fact that the longest night of the year, the, the, the most darkness is just before Christmas. And we're reminded of the fact that for some of us, Christmas time is hard. Broken families, difficult relationships, uh, the pain of loss of others. This makes Advent and Christmas not always just happy. Not only that, Advent looks back. As we look back, 
at what Jesus has done for us, we kind of are struck with awe. What we're going to talk about uh, this morning is the way that uh, Jesus came into this world and, and the way that he was received. And as we look back, we remember that, that this is a pretty amazing thing, that God, the person who made the world, decided to become a human. And he really became a human. Like, got stomach viruses, right? Like, had sleepless nights. Like, those things that we think are quintessentially sort of the bad stuff about humanity, Jesus really experienced. The God who created the world got the flu. That, that's, when we say Jesus was fully human, like, we mean, like, actually fully human. Like, like really human. And so we look back in awe, but not only that, the, the length of Advent, we also look forward in hope. We look forward to his return. And, and so we get to see that not only do we look back in awe, but we look forward in hope. Because he is, as one person put it, uh, making all the sad things come untrue. And so Advent gives us the chance to sort of live and breathe. It's a chance for us to see that God is complex, just like us. That this season reminds us that there's a lot of emotions that we as humans have. There's a lot of ways that we interact with God, and Advent is a part of that. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to take different passages that focus on Jesus becoming man. When God became one of us. And so this morning, we're going to read a section out of John's Gospel where he talks about this. So if you would, stand with me. I'm going to read out loud. Um, you can follow along if you have a Bible with you. We also have it on our City Church app, or uh, if you look up on the screen, it'll be there. So I'm going to read from the, the English Standard Version, and I'm going to read John 1, 9 through 18. It says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So what happens is we, we often try to shrink Christmas into giving presents and being merry. It's the only time of the year that we really get to be merry, right? It's the only merry holiday that I can think of. You don't say merry Valentine's Day, merry Fourth of July. It, nope, nope. Merry is sort of designated. That's the 
Christmas thing you get to feel. You get to feel Mary. But in reality, Jesus' incarnation, which is the sort of big word for God becoming man, it's complex. And one of the things that John shows us in this passage that we just read is that it's also about things like rejection and grace. The passage starts out by, by pointing out that, that God was the true light. And when he came into the world, he came into the world that he made and the world didn't know him. And not only did the world not know him, but his own people rejected him. You see, we oftentimes like to kind of make Jesus into a hallmark character. When in reality, it's much harder than that. Jesus came into the world, and the world didn't know him. The, the way that John writes this is sort of this feeling, uh, there's sort of a trope in movies these days, of like the soldier who goes off to war and comes home, and what has happened, but his, his fiance has decided that she's in love with somebody else, right? There's like 17 movies with loosely this plot, right? Some of them are romantic comedies, some of them are like the, the terrible movies that when you're done, you're like, I just cried for two hours, why would I watch this? This is awful, I don't like this. Maybe that's just me. Right? I, this is loosely the plot of every Nicholas Sparks novel and movie that I know of. Right? Soldier goes away, comes home, and his fiance, wife, girlfriend is in love with someone else. Right? There's this feeling of he comes back and things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And when John paints this picture of Jesus, the picture that he paints is that, that Jesus came into the world, the one who lovingly created the world, the one who lovingly made the world, he came into the world and the world didn't know him. That's what was true of Jesus when he was born. It was not attended by the elite. The birth of Jesus was not a cause for everybody to stop what they're doing and celebrate. In fact, the only people who showed up the night he was born were a bunch of shepherds. And when you think of shepherds, don't think of what Hallmark tells you about shepherds. Fix in your mind truck drivers. The cultural stereotypes that we have about truck drivers is roughly the cultural stereotypes that the people of Israel would have had about shepherds. And then some, some wise men from the East show up a good bit later, and that's about it. He came to the world, and the world didn't know him. What's interesting is that this is so true of us today, and it's so true of St. Petersburg. You think about uh, the way that people interact with faith here in St. Petersburg. What's Across the board, the most common thing when you begin to talk about anything um, religious here in St. Petersburg, it's going to be the response that I am religious. I'm, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual, right? I'm spiritual, but not religious. This is, this is sort of a common thread that cuts across just about everybody. It was interesting. I, um, I play in a fantasy football league. Um, surprise. Right? Everybody's really shocked by this scenario. Um, and so yesterday I was talking smack to, to somebody in the in the fantasy football league. Um, also, 
not a shock or surprise. Um, and, you know, is it just some, some good-natured fantasy football ribbing? Hey, your team's awful. No, your team's awful. I'm going to win. No. And so this person, uh, I made it, this person says, oh, I'm going to win. And I said, oh, oh, you've been lied to if you think you're going to win. And this person says back, you've been lied to your whole life. We can talk later about that. Like, low-key, uh, like, low-key was like, you know, hey, religion's dumb, you're dumb. Like, be cool, and I'm going to beat you in fantasy football, right? I, I don't say this to throw shade at this person. Um, I say this because uh, this person would consider themselves deeply spiritual. But not religious. Because there's this... There's this desire in all of us because there's something that we know. We know that there is something missing in our lives. One uh, author says that it's as if uh, spirituality and, and Christianity were a spring. And the response of the modern world was to take as much concrete as we could and just dump it into that spring. The problem is while we have this nice, flat, concrete pad, water keeps popping up and leaking. And we keep getting bombarded by these reminders that there's, there's something more than I can explain in my life. There's something more that I can't quite quantify. There's something very soul-ish about me that I can't explain with just garden variety spirituality. And John says, that's because we don't know him. That's because we have not looked at the light. It's because we have not been given the eyes to see him. But it's interesting because it's not just the world that rejects Jesus. But it's his own people. The people of Jesus' day, he was not welcomed in. Like, oh, look, it's the Messiah. This is great. Pack it in, guys. We found the Messiah. Everything is fine. No. Jesus was constantly at odds with the religious people of his day. They were constantly struggling with this idea because Jesus was not the Messiah that they expected. Again and again and again, even Jesus' disciples think that Jesus is going to stage a military coup. That, that was what they wanted. They wanted political and military power. Why else does Peter bring a sword to the Last Supper? Do you ever think about that? Peter was literally packing heat at the Last Supper. Because what do they do? They leave to go down to the Garden of Gethsemane, and the soldiers show up to arrest Jesus. And where's Peter? Peter's Johnny on the spot with the sword. Let's go. I'm ready for this. They expect to go kill some Romans, to go free the people from the oppression of Caesar. It was not, Jesus was not the Messiah that they expected. Now, what happens when we say something like this is it's really easy for us to go, ha, silly people in Jesus' day. If I would have been there, I would have been different. You see, that's not true of you and me. You know how I know that? Because here we are doing so many of the same things. 
how many of us kind of pick and choose the kind of parts of the Bible that we want to read and believe? How many of us treat even the words of Jesus as if a salad bar? Green olives, yes. Black olives, no. Lots of branch dressing, dressing yes. Croutons, are you kidding me? Absolutely. Sunflower seeds, why are they even on this thing? Right? And we, we go through and pick and choose. Is that not rejecting Jesus? Or maybe we don't kind of treat it like a salad bar. Maybe instead we try to mold Jesus into what we want him to be. We try to make Jesus say the same things that we say. I've said it before and it bears repeating. If Jesus has all of the same social opinions as you do, if Jesus agrees with all of your social opinions, you don't have a God, you have a mirror. Because Jesus has critique for all of us, if we'll read him. And all of this comes down to the idea of receiving. John says, he came to his own, and they didn't receive him. It's it's as if, look, we all have people in our lives. We all have at least one person in our lives that's a terrible gift giver. Right? It doesn't take long for you to spin through your Rolodex to find somebody in your life that's a terrible gift giver. Right? And what do you do? If you're a decent human being, the way that you respond to terrible gift givers is by saying, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this thing that I do not want and do not have a use for. And then you quietly put it in your closet until the appropriate statute of limitations has passed for you to either return it or just get rid of it. Right? What am I going to do with a gun rack? I don't even own a gun. Much less many guns that necessitate a gun rack. Right? Don't, don't. We all know those. What would, what would be a move of a person who is, let's say, not a decent human being, is to look at this person, whether they're a family member or a friend, and begin to say, no, you shouldn't give me that. You should take that back and give me the things that I want. When you say, no, take that back, give me the things that I want, you're doing whatever the opposite of receiving is. Okay, I tell the silly story, I make the Wayne's World reference. What's the point? We have to receive Jesus on his terms. On who he says he is. Not. But he just doesn't show us the way that we miss Jesus. He sort of gives us a positive picture of who he is. It says that Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. He became one of us. One, one person put it this way, that it's when God moved in to your neighborhood. Can you imagine seeing one of the for sale signs in your neighborhood go to sold, except this, this sign is a little bit brighter 
kind of has a sparkle to it, kind of seems like it's backlit somehow, and says, sold to God. What would it be like if God moved in to your neighborhood? That, that idea is somewhat foreign to us, and yet that is exactly the picture that John begins to paint for us. He's using allusions to the Old Testament, this idea that the tabernacle was the center of their camp, and it was a symbol of the presence of God. What, what John is saying here is that Jesus became the actual personal presence of God and moved in to our And he didn't do it in luxury. Jesus was working class his entire life. He left all of the pleasures of heaven, all of the beauties of heaven, and came to be a carpenter's son, to be a tradesman. And not only did he not live in luxury, but Jesus also didn't live in power. Again and again and again, when people want Jesus to take power, to grasp at power, Jesus says no. At one point, a crowd of people want to make Jesus king, which was his birthright as a son of David. And he does one of the kind of most mysterious miracles that Jesus does. Look what happens when the people crowded together to make Jesus king. He sort of went incognito and disappeared out through the crowd. No, he didn't come to live in a palace. Rather, he came to dwell and move into our lives. And he moves into our lives with truth, John tells us. He moves into our life with grace upon grace. Jesus is the very presence of God. And He comes into our lives. And despite the fact that we reject Him, despite the fact that we don't always receive Him on His terms, He does something amazing for us. He lives His entire life here on earth in perfection, in perfect love of God, and perfect love of all of his neighbors, even when he was sick, even when things weren't going well in his life, even when he lost loved ones and family members, Jesus didn't sin. And this incarnation, this Jesus becoming man, culminates in his humiliation, in the flesh that he took on, being exposed on the cross. And the reason he does this, the reason that he dies for your rejection of God and mine, for your ignoring of God and mine, for the ways that we try to mold him into what we want to be, the reason he does that is so that you and I can have a new birth. You see, what's really interesting is that right in the middle of this passage, there's that verse where it talks about that he was born not of the will of man, not of the flesh, but of the will of God. And there's debate in this passage. Who, who is this talking about? Because if you read that, on the one hand, that sounds a lot like Jesus, right? Jesus was not born by the normal means of birth, right? He was not born by the will of the flesh. He was born by the will of God. 
But on the other hand, this is a picture that John and the New Testament as a whole uses to give us of our spiritual rebirth. It's not by the will of the flesh. It's not by us wanting it the appropriate amount. Rather, it's by God doing something in our lives. And so the beauty of the incarnation is that it culminates in the cross of Jesus and becomes for us a new birth. Just like Jesus was a miraculous birth, just like his beginning was miraculous, those of us who, have been, or who are in Christ have experienced the same type of miraculous new birth. And not only do we get to experience that new birth, but that mission that Jesus was a part of. When you and I are made sons and daughters of God, we are sent on a new mission. So that we get to move into the lives of our friends, our families, our co-workers, and our neighbors with truth, just like Jesus. With forgiveness, just like Jesus. And with grace upon grace, See, the birth of Jesus, the season of Advent, reminds us of the ways in which we have rejected God, but also the ways that He can sympathize with us because He has been rejected. It reminds us that we who are in Christ have a new birth, a new list of possibilities, and are sent out to our people, the people that are around us here in St. Petersburg on a new mission. Let's pray.